Welcome to the Politics of Fish podcast, the American Sport Fishing Association's bi-weekly podcast covering the people, organizations, and issues that impact the recreational fishing industry. I'm your host, Mike Leonard, Vice President of Government Affairs for ASA. On this episode, my guest is Jesse Simpkins, Vice President of Marketing for St. Croix Rod which is a family-owned manufacturer of high-performance graphite and fiberglass fishing rods headquartered in Park Falls, Wisconsin. Jesse is also the chairman of ASA's board of directors. In our discussion, we cover how Jesse was destined for a career in the sport fishing industry, the responsibility he feels for being involved with ASA and giving back to the sport, and the sport fishing community's incredible commitment to conservation funding. He also caught a mess of rockfish on the Chesapeake Bay the day before, so we talk a little bit about that too. Jesse's drive to give back to the sport of fishing should be an inspiration to all sport fishing manufacturers. So I hope you enjoy the listen and come away inspired to follow in his footsteps. All right, I'm pleased, thrilled to be joined by ASA Chairman, Vice President of Marketing for St. Croix Rod, Mr. Jesse Simpkins, live and in person. This is only the second in-person recording we've done here, so we're pushing our equipment to the max here by going with two microphones. But hopefully this works, and welcome Jesse to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. Um, It's a pleasure to be here in D.C., I love coming to uh, the ASA offices. Uh, the dynamic here, the energy within these walls make it worthwhile. Yeah, so tell us about what brings you to D.C. I would love to think you came all this way just to be on this show, but I think this was maybe a secondary in addition to many other things. So what's going on this week that brought you to town? I'm going to the TRCP event uh, this evening, which I'm really excited about. You know, having a bunch of like-minded individuals together when it comes to fishing and or hunting uh, is great. Plus, I was able to sneak a little bit of Chesapeake time yesterday. So. Yeah, tell us more about that. You and uh, we had our two fearless leaders. You and Glenn Hughes were out on the bay, and I was shocked to learn this was your first time out on the Chesapeake Bay. So, yeah, how did the experience go? I would do it again. That's pretty easy. <laughs> That's to good. Say. Um, yeah, it was my first trip ever on the Chesapeake Bay, and you hear the stories about you know stripers, and, and, and you know, for me, it's always been stripers and duck hunting. Right, uh, mm-hmm. I used to own a Chesapeake Bay Retriever, and mm-hmm. it was because of the stories behind it. But uh, we had a great day. Um, went out, I caught nearly fifty fish. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good day. You know, I'll take it <laughs> for uh, uh, six hours on the water. I've had plenty worse, so yeah. Um, and it just was wonderful. I, it was a great experience. It makes me want to come back and do it again and learn a little bit more about the area, especially it's a diverse fishery. It's not just stripers and. I hear as the uh, the summer encroaches that other species come forward, and uh, I like to chase as many as I possibly can. Yeah, I caught my first Kobe out on the bay last summer, really? which was which was fun. Yeah, mostly been doing rockfish, but yeah, we every now and again a few others in there. So well, and you think DC is you know urban environment? There's not many opportunities, but you don't have to go that far. I mean, well, it's got like, one of the best bass fisheries around in the Potomac as well. Yep. I mean, uh, the whole area, uh, it, which is great here, has uh, a very diverse and an excellent uh, fishery, so right. happy to be part of it. Well, many, many reasons to come to D.C., fishing being one of them. So hopefully that'll be a draw to get you back. And, yeah, looking forward to the dinner tonight. Uh, you know, this is one of those, you know, fancy schmoozy uh, events with members of Congress and cocktails and all that, but we're there to celebrate conservation and Absolutely. The, the sports of hunting and fishing and coming together, and it'll be a great opportunity to build that unity and, and celebrate all that we're doing here in D.C. To, to benefit the sport. So should be a fun time. Uh, so Jesse, let's do a little bit of deeper dive into you, your background. So, you know, we, we talked about the board chairman, sure. uh, which you're closing out your, your term here in a few months, but ha- tell us about your, your journey into the industry, kind of your background, what's, what brought you to where you are now? Well, um, 
you know, we'll go way back and say I, I started fishing when I was three, and I always wanted to, to be part of it. I was fortunate enough to have one grandfather that was a very technical angler, fly angler, go to Canada, another one who was a cat fisherman, right, river <laughs> fisherman. So I, it was ingrained in me from a very young age. And um, before I got into uh, the fishing industry, I was interviewing for a job um, for a commercial real estate guy. And the VP looked at me and said, Jess, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? And I didn't miss a beat. I said, I want somebody to pay me to fish and hunt or talk about fishing and hunting the rest of my life. And he was like, good luck with that. <laughs> um, a few years later, I had the, the fortunate uh, opportunity to start working for Plano. Um, I grew up in Illinois. Uh, Plano Molding was 10.3 miles from where I grew up. Um, was part of my, my formative youth. Yeah, I used Plano and had an opportunity to go to work for them in 1996 um, and was able to work hard, you know, be dedicated to it and um, work my way up from a uh, public relations coordinator to uh, ended there being a senior vice president of sales and marketing. Um, and we just really enjoyed uh, being part of that small family and growing into something larger. And then I had an opportunity uh, six years ago to go to St. Croix Rod in uh, northern Wisconsin, and it's been a blessing. And uh, as part of that journey, you've gotten more and more involved with ASA, i yeah, say. Yeah, I started, uh, goodness, uh, it might have been 20 years ago, um, where I just started being a committee member and being engaged um, at that time. Um, the Future Fisherman Foundation was a foundation of ASAs, and I chaired that uh, foundation for a while. But I always felt um, that with anything that we do, there are people who will sit and talk about it, right, and not provide any support. They'll just talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a lot of time for those people. Um, if you have something that you want to challenge, if you want to challenge us as an ASA board, you want to have a voice in what's happening on the Hill, then get engaged, period. And I took that to heart. And I, if I can't practice what I preach, then I shouldn't be here. But um, I love fishing. I love everything about it. And if I have an opportunity to go out and, and make a difference so that the future of fishing right, has a bright future, I'm going to do it. Well, I'm sure you deal with this uh, in your day-to-day -day life, too. I, I see it a lot here in D.C. Um, that personal passion for something that you care that much about and to be able to make a career out of that is cool and fulfilling. And I often look at other lobbyists around D.C., you know, maybe lobbying for, I don't know, health care or uh, you know, defense contractors, things that are important. Absolutely. But I don't know that anyone, when they're you know three years old, that they view that that's what I want to do for the rest of my life is Probably be a defense not. industry contractor. So uh, that's you know what we're so fortunate in this field to be able to do is to yeah. advocate and have a professional career in something that we feel so strongly about and hope to pass on. We are some of the fortunate few, right? Um, we take our passions, right, and turn them into uh, life's work. Um, I, I read a quote one time, and I can't remember who it says, uh, who made the statement, but the success in life is being able to take your vacation and make it your vocation. Right, right. right. And we're able to do that. But that has to be, you know, a cost to that. And that cost for me is to be able to give of myself and ensure the fact that these things that I love to do are still viable for years and generations to come. And ASA has a great hand in that. And that's why I love being part of it. Yeah, I often wonder about that cost of getting involved because um, fishing 
is, you know, you experience it on the bay. It's relaxing. It's peaceful. You know, there's an excitement to it too, but it's, it, it generally leaves you feeling good and, and, and fulfilled. And a lot of what we do at ASA, it's important, but it, it doesn't, I wouldn't call it fun. It's, uh, you know, a lot of the policy work we do, it's contentious and complicated and messy. So I guess, how do you balance that? Like, you know, that the more you get involved in ASA, the, the tougher it's going to be, and you're going to have to, you know, take this, this weight on your shoulders. How do you balance that with, you know, you don't have to do this. If you don't, you know, there'll be another board chairman. But what kind of drives you to, to take that ownership and involvement, recognizing that, yeah, there is a cost to it? Well, it's interesting. I've never looked at it that way, other than, you know, I made the statement that there's a cost. But the cost to me is inaction, not action. Mm. Right. If we do nothing, then we don't get to support the resources and access for anglers and all those things that are important to us. So to me, that it's the cost of inaction, not the cost of action. The cost of action allows me to come in and have a voice. And anybody that is a member of ASA or a member of the sport fishing community has an opportunity to do that. That's, that's the nice thing about the American Sport Fishing Association. You have every opportunity to be engaged as deeply as you want. You just have to make the effort. And to me, it's really satisfying. When I see the successes that you and the, the government affairs team have, I know that we're doing the right things, right? Um, and so there's that great sense of satisfaction. And when, hopefully, I get to the point where I'm retired and I do get to fish every day that I want to, um, we've done the right things. Yeah, well, that that's, I think, the end goal for a lot of us is that Time on the water, uh, more than we have now. Kids on the water, family on the water, um, and feeling like you have a role in that. But, uh, yeah, it does, I think, require that individual accountability to recognize that, you know, this isn't something we can take for granted. Uh, fishing as we know it isn't guaranteed for forever. And if That's we right. as an industry don't step up and as an individual, you know, do our part to, to support not just the association, but the future of the sport. It's, well, that's just it. There's the, no the association is the vehicle, right? Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's our duty as anglers, right, either individually or corporately, to do everything that we can to ensure the fact that we have viable places to go fishing. Right. That's what it's all about. So I'm sure the two years has been going by pretty quick. It's um, amazing. <laughs> in some ways, it, it may feel like a long time. In others, it's, you know, the snap of a finger. So what's... What's the most important thing that, that you want to achieve? If, when you look back on your time as board chairman, what's what sort of stands out as what you want to have kind of as a, a legacy or something you remember most? Well, it, it's really easy right now because we're really, um, I've kicked it off almost a year ago. Actually, when you think about it, it was almost two years ago, just pre-pandemic, right? When we talked about putting together a strategic plan mm -hmm. for the future of the American Sport uh, Fishing Association and what we want to do for the um, the industry and for the resource um, that got put on hold a little bit as we tried to, to wade through those initial months or year of the pandemic. But to allow us to be able to move forward, everybody that was part of the planning committee and um, part of the board decided we needed to continue to move forward with the strategic plan, and I give them a lot of credit for that. Um, so to answer your question, what I want to see by the time that I'm finished here is a solid foundation of what the vision is for the next five to 10 years for ASA and how we're going to support um, the resource and the manufacturing community and the retail community that's out there because that's who we're here for. Right. So as you're looking ahead, what excites you the most maybe within that strategic planning process or outside of it, you know, it's kind of as you look, as you look ahead to ASA and, you know, the sport, what, what kind of gets you excited about 
potential direction and where things may be headed. Well, the opportunity to connect with anglers on a deeper level than we ever have before. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got all aspects of the industry that have come together. And I don't think that the common angler knows exactly what ASA does for them on a regular basis. Or I go, you know, you're deeply ingrained into FET, right? Do you think that many anglers, just the common anglers, know that they're some of the best conservationists in the world? No, no. Right? Small percent that may know. Yeah, they don't realize the fact that by doing what they do and spending money on um, equipment, they're actually acting like the conservationists that the rest of the world is jealous of. When you look at our fisheries, like there's nothing like it anywhere else in the world. And we as anglers, not as an association, not as an industry, as anglers have a big part in that. Yeah, we have a great story to tell, uh, if many of us even know to tell it, you know, that, that this conservation success story that we have. Well, and I think that, you know, directionally with what's happening at the association, you know, the, the staff that has, uh, has come together, I think there's great things that are going to happen in the very near future. I know that and feel very comfortable making that statement. Yeah, we'll appreciate that. Well, yeah, the last couple of years have been, been bumpy, but one of the few things that has been good coming out of this is what we've seen in terms of fishing participation. And, um, We've got uh, a lot to do as an industry, as an association, to, to capitalize on that and make sure this isn't just sort of a blip on the radar that people start you know, going back to bowling or golfing or video games or whatever. Yeah, but, we've uh, talked about it, right? Um, the fact that um, we had so many new anglers come into it, and not just new anglers, lapsed anglers came back, yep. right? Our job is to remind them of the joy that they found in the outdoors and as fishing is part of that. Because... People are going to go back to soccer. They're going to play Little League. They're going to go back to the movies. There's other things to do. But remember as a family, right, or as, you know, friends, and we went out and spent time on the boat and caught some fish, and we didn't have all the worries of being inside or masking up. All those things became carefree when we were out there fishing. And what a great experience, especially when you go out there and have great resources and abundant fish. Yep. Right. Um, all right, let's play a little role play here. All right, I am a fishing tackle manufacturer that has attended ICAST before, and I'm on the fence about ASA in general. So what would you say to me about the benefits of being a part of ASA outside of ICAST? What, what would you convey as the value of this association beyond just putting on a trade show? Well, let's just start with the voice, right? And I don't mean the singing kind. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I mean the fact that we have a voice um, on the hill, right, and outside of the sport fishing community that allows us to take the issues right to the people who can make a difference. Um, and that, to me, is so very important. We know that there's a lot of pressure and a lot of dollars out there that people are trying to, to utilize for whatever their association wants to be done. The fact that we touch 60 million people actively a year makes a difference, right? And so we need to be out there for them and making sure that we have a voice. So be part of ASA. Come to the trade show. That's great because that sets a stake in the ground for launching new products, right? Um, Coming together as, as a fishing community, you know, it's amazing. I've got old friends that I've seen for 25 years at, at uh, ICAST, and it's great to see them every single year. But frankly, 
coming there to learn. Um, you know, the, the lunch and learn sessions that we had last year that were attended by retailers were fantastic. Mm-hmm. The world has changed, especially in the past couple of years, whether you're a manufacturer or a retailer. So coming to um, an association where I can learn a little bit more about what's happening, what's changing, and maybe get some best practices is something I think that everybody can be part of, whether it's a manufacturer, a retailer, um, an NGO. It brings us together as a community and gives us a commonality that really, quite frankly, is stronger. Yeah. Well, it's a great explanation and something we need to kind of figure out how to bottle and <laughs> and spread around because um, there is a lot of value in ICAST and the trade show that that week provides for our industry of coming together. But um, I hope folks can, if educated and aware, can see the value of what ASA is doing far beyond that. Well, and we'll go to the summit, mm-hmm. right? We can talk about that as well. Here's industry leaders coming together and talking about the business of the association, the industry, and networking and finding new ways and new pathways to either improve our business, our supply chains, or improve our connections with the anglers or improve what we're doing as an association. Um, Those are just two examples. You're not getting to the number of times that you're going out across the country and and meeting with your team, right, in government affairs side, or that uh, Blake spends time, right, in, in, in getting new membership together. There's there's so many facets to what ASA is doing on behalf of us, me as a manufacturer, or our retail partners, that doesn't get a lot of visibility. Right. Um, but that's going to change as well. <laughs> you know, I, I see... Uh, um, you know, we brought on Mary Beth uh, recently, and she's done such a great job. Um, I know that for your, your listeners, it won't be uh, as concrete as it is for us who are attending the board uh, sessions, but we had a board meeting back at the Bassmasters Classic. And in that board meeting, there was a concept, right, about getting the community together to talk in a unified voice about what we're doing. And from March until now, it was a scant six, seven weeks, they were able to put together a comprehensive campaign that basically lasts five or six weeks that they took out to the entire membership group that we've got. And I know my team got on it. Um, Those are things that didn't happen before. And now we have those opportunities. Yeah. You mentioned strategic plan, that communications, building the community. That's really what's central to all this. And, um, you know, I, I feel positive about where we are now, but if you think of how much more we have to grow and to do to build that community and communicate to where folks are aware and appreciate and understand not just what we're doing, but what their role is in that and building up the association of the industry. You know, you can see wherever we are now, um, much bigger, stronger, more impactful ASA in the future. Well, I'll say this. We know that we're doing good. We know that, you know, what you and your team are doing on the Hill, what we're doing out there in the field it is working. But, I'll also say that we're never just satisfied with that. There's always opportunities to improve, right? And um, whether it's improving finish uh, the fisheries or improving our communication to our industry or to anglers, there's always uh, something that we can do to do it better. Yeah. Well, I want to jump back to something you mentioned, FET, federal excise tax, um, and the, the role that our entire community has in supporting this, you know, what's really the backbone of fisheries conservation and access in this country uh, that, you know, former president Mike Nussman often referred to as the the greatest conservation story never told, that uh, it's just incredible that this program exists and 
you know, $750 million a year that goes out towards aquatic conservation. And I don't know, maybe 2% of anglers know this exists. Uh, you might be a little heavy yeah. on that. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it really is. Like I said, we are the envy of the world in the way that we take care of our fisheries and the fact that we do it voluntarily. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I actually talked about it internally at St. Croix um, to our leadership. And most of them, other than um, the family, right, the uh, Schluter family, um, weren't aware of FET and the fact that they're deeply engaged since all of us to a T spent a little bit of money on fishing right. tackle during the course of the year. Right. Um, but they didn't realize uh, the impact that it has and the fact that they were deeply ingrained into it. So... The greatest story never told couldn't be more accurate because we are everything to the uh, uh, conservation of our fisheries. And I think there's a lot more that we can do to tell that story. And I think that we will be telling that story Mm -hmm. and getting the whole community to feel really good about what we are doing. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about anglers, but clearly what you're saying is this is throughout the industry too even the manufacturers absolutely yeah you know, there's someone at some point obviously writing the check but within so many of these companies there's i'm assuming a similar level of they may know there's this tax they're not sure why 10 percent, boy that seems like a lot what's this going towards mm-hmm. you know but there's that sense of pride right that that should go along should yeah it. and i think that's part of how i approach it with our team and, and say listen you know feel good about the fact that um your dollars are going for uh, a hatchery, right? Or some sort of access. Um, Later this month, I'm actually being engaged in a partner with a payer event at St. Croix where we're doing just that. And it's thanks to ASA that we're able to do this. So we're bringing the uh, Wisconsin, you know, Fish and Wildlife and St. Croix, and we're going through our facility and talking about what we do and illustrating to them where the dollars come from, right? I thought it was brilliant for um, ASA to start working on that project, and I'm looking forward to being active in it uh, later this month. Yeah, if others want more information, yeah, it's, it's partner with a payer. I think there's a, a website for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. But yeah, you'll I've seen videos from others, and uh, we'll look forward to what comes from St. Croix. But you're right, it shows that full circle of the manufacturers, the products that are taxed, and ultimately that money's going back to the states, and you're going to see you know aquatic restoration projects, boat ramps being built. You know, all this great work that, you know, it's this virtuous cycle that, you it know, is. it's creating more fishing opportunities, more equipment. Uh, it's a tremendous success story. And I'm, I'm remembering I've had conversations on the Hill with members of Congress, including some, you know, fairly far right fiscal conservatives where we mentioned, yeah, you know, there's this excise tax on our, our industry. And they roll their eyes. Oh, gosh, what's this tax all about? And when you explain to them, yeah, this is actually one that we support, and it's something that's been around for you know eighty plus years, and we we are happy to pay it because here's what it goes towards. And had you know again very hardline fiscal hawks come on and say, oh, okay, no, actually that's that's pretty valuable. That's, that makes that's, sense. Yeah, that's good. We should keep doing that. Absolutely, <laughs> and and you know we fully support it. I mean, we're happy. I hate to say, it, but we're happy to do that because we know that if we want to be viable as an industry, as a company, a manufacturer. They need to be able to go fishing, yep. and so we need to support that. And that's not going to happen on its own. It takes it takes resources it to create these fishing opportunities. So, um, all right, well, we could end there, uh, but this has been a great conversation. Oh, wait, I did want to say, you, you told me a little secret before this. I don't know if this is too early for public consumption, but I heard something about a podcast maybe coming out of 
St. Croix here in the near future. Can you uh, elaborate on that? Future? Well, you know, um, we have a great family at St. Croix. And we have some unique personalities. And we have a lot of information that we want to be able to go out there and share. So we feel that we have an opportunity to bring our extended family, uh, you know, and, and talk about rod building or species specifics or techniques and really go out there and have some fun talking with the St. Croix family, having people have a chance to hear what we have to say. So, yeah, there's something in the future that's going to happen. Well, I would I would volunteer to help and give advice, but I'm still figuring all this podcast stuff out myself, too. So I don't know how... Can you tell us some stuff about fishing? Uh, very little on that, too. Politics and policy, sure. If you want to bore your listeners with a conversation on... Uh, fisheries legislation on your well, man. I'll say this. I, um, I think it may be worthwhile to have you talk about how the anglers that are hearing that are great conservationists and what they do as part of it. Yeah, and, and how that impacts what goes on here in D.C. Because exactly. it is it is a message that not many others are fortunate to tell that of what tremendous role that their industry is playing in conservation and supporting the environment. We're, we're fortunate yeah. in that regard. That it's a good message. Thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, we'll get ready for dinner tonight and uh, get you back out here before too long for another trip uh, out on the bay. I don't know if you'll catch 50 fish next time, though. That's a pretty you good know start. What? Um, that's okay. It was a great benchmark to set. Yeah, <laughs> better better to at least get that in at some point than to never experience it. Sure. So, All right, Jesse, thanks so much uh, for joining and uh, appreciate all the work you've done as chairman over the past almost two years now and, and the next few months that we'll get to spend together before you pass the baton. Well, thank you very much. It, it, believe me when I say it's been my pleasure uh, to be part of ASA and certainly part of the board. It's one of those things, as I said before, it's the very least I could do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully others carry that same mindset and the, the legacy you're leaving here, I know will carry us well in the future. Thanks again to Jesse for taking the time to share his insights with us. We'll be back in a couple weeks with the next episode, but in the meantime, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and share the Politics of Fish podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks for listening, and tight lines.